0: Know thyself. These words have literally been etched into our minds from years of debate and contemplation after they were first etched into Greek temples and recorded by some of the greatest Western philosophers. The most highly regarded minds of the last several millennia have all had their opinion on what these cryptic words mean. Some regard them as the beginning of our journey to wisdom, while others view them as a waste of time that hinders our human experience. Today, We'll give our own opinions on this topic, as well as our views on the utility of technology's attempt to help us know who we are. Welcome to another episode of Doorward Thinking. Welcome back to the show listeners. I'm your host Nate LeBlanc and I'm back with the team seeking better ways to think about life and work. Each week we'll open a new door in our search for clarity as we consider the intersections of art, science, and the human spirit. Today I'm the one traveling across the country. I'm in the city of Angels, Los Angeles, California visiting my family for the holidays. And over Zoom in St. Louis, the origin of the ice cream cone, we have my good friend Stephen Eit. Welcome to the show,
1: Steve. Hey, 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 Nate. And it was the dunce cone, not the ice cream cone.
0: (laughs) Just flip that upside down, huh? Also in St. Louis is everyone's favorite mentor, Daniel Jacob Bison, a.k.a. Jake. Welcome to the show, Jake. Nate, we talked about that. Nick is a liar. I'm, I'm taking his word for it, man. Look, you mentor me. Let's move on, please. And finally, from Cleveland, Ohio, the home of the arcade, the very first indoor shopping mall, Peter Costanzo. Welcome to the show, Pete.
2: Hey Nate, how's it going today? I got uh, I got the little guy with me too. He's he's excited. Hey, welcome to the show, Leo. <laughs> I don't know what that was, but he said something. I couldn't make it out. <laughs>
0: how's LA, Nate? LA is fantastic. Spending some time out here with the family. Got to see the grandparents and um, spent some time with my sister. Pranking one of her co-workers went into the office and turned it into a a jungle with uh, leaf streamers and flowers and pipe cleaner animals. It was a riot. Really good time. No better family time than pranking people. Pranking people you don't know specifically. I'm (laughs) just kidding. Uh, They have a really great office culture in there. Uh, We were talking about it on the way over to the office Mm -hmm. and um, sounds like a really great place to work. They work with children with learning disabilities and try to help them overcome some of the things that they deal with in methods that are alternative to medications and some of the other things. A lot of great work that they do. All right, so we're going to hop right to it. On last week's show, episode six, The overaccommodation Culture, we talked about the ways that neglecting to take care of ourselves can paradoxically cause more problems for society around us. And even how we may be tempted to conform despite our knowledge and ability, in an attempt not to be seen as peculiar, or from a belief that others are better informed. Today, we're going to shift that locus of control from external to internal, as we talk about the importance of knowing ourselves. Something a lot of us experience is the feeling of being in the hamster wheel, getting exhausted from the latest spin around, and wondering when we'll catch a break to regroup. When it seems like we're always running around at top speed, it can be really hard to know what we need to do to best take care of ourselves. Many Greek philosophers believe the answer to knowing how to take care of ourselves was to, quote, know yourself. It was such a pervasive thought in classical society that the words Gnothi seauton," know thyself, were inscribed on the temple of the god Apollo at Delphi. Perhaps the greatest proponent of this ancient maxim was Socrates, who used it throughout his writings, and to whom we attribute the quotes, once we know ourselves, we may learn to care for ourselves, and to know thyself is the beginning of wisdom. This insight has been echoed by philosophers throughout history, including Augustine of Hippo, who writes, fall within yourself, because inside of man lies the truth.
3: Wow. Can you hear that, by the way?
1: Oh, no, no, I did. I did for a second. That's it. Part of self-care
2: is also lawn care. (laughs) Um, And so having regularly scheduled maintenance, you know, you got to get that edge tight. You got to get it crisp. So that I think that might be part of the whole self-care thing. You engulf property into that, I guess.
3: The word property does come from propria, the Latin word for one's own. I think you're onto something, Pete.
0: So that's pretty deep, and it's something that people have been struggling with for a long time. So we're going to throw our own hat into the ring here and ask, what does
1: knowing yourself mean to you guys? What does knowing yourself mean? Wow. Um, Knowing yourself really means knowing your abilities, first off, and second off, your interpersonal communications and relationships, who you are with other people and how you engage in this world and so knowing yourself really comes from um you know kind of that insight from other people and how they see you and how you're showing up but then that other insight is also kind of who you want to be and how you want to show up so it is an outside and inside process really to collect information about who you are
3: i like the way you're saying about collecting information because it seems like when we talk about a process of knowing yourself we're really looking for a more objective perspective that can come maybe in two ways. One, it's talking to others about how they view you. I mean, you see this all the time. You collect from a number of different people and try to, you know, glean from there, distill from there a consensus on and even even yourself, right? And in that process, you're able to to kind of judge, you know, see what resonates, what doesn't resonate, and looking for that greater knowledge.
2: I think for me it's a little Bit more simplified. um, When I think about knowing myself, for me, it boils down to strengths versus weaknesses. Um, Like, where can I contribute? What are my What are my strengths, my superpowers, where I can be a value add to community and society at large? Um, And then, what are my shortcomings? Right? What Where do I need to improve? Where do I need to learn? I think that's the real balance for me on knowing myself because it 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 feathers out into you know the rest of the world you know if i don't know myself and i'm you know kind of just running around wheel spinning you know maybe i'm not good at something but i'm i'm thinking hey maybe i'm a subject matter expert at this so i'm not adding any value by bringing weak information to the table um, so i really have to know who i am and where my strengths lie in order to be a meaningful member of society
3: right right I think the strengths and weaknesses is definitely a good way to think about it. I totally agree. I, I, I was interpreting what Steve was saying kind of actually in those, you know, in those terms or something like it, you you find out those strengths and weaknesses again, like through those interpersonal relationships. I mean, if you're just like in a box, not dealing with other people, you're not going to, uh, you can, can, you can definitely find some, uh, but I think it's iron sharpened on iron as they say.
2: Of course. Right. That's, that's why it's an age old adage don't say that three times fast. Uh, <laughs> I, I think though, Dan, that there is some time required to be with yourself in a box. As you said, um, there's some discovery that needs to happen in order to better form those interpersonal relationships, where it's not just, you know, uh, the the Wild West. I think you, if you have a better yeah, sense agree. of your own character, that will help you to uh, have that be something of meaning to another person that you meet or interact with. Pete, what you were
0: saying sounds a lot like what Jordan Peterson says, the Canadian psychologist who uh, is all over the place in writing and interviews and videos right now. What he says comes back to seems like what's becoming a central tenet of doorward thinking, which is that in order to take that deep dive, that time in the box, like you say, requires real humility to take a look at ourselves and see where our strengths are, yes, but also those, those weaknesses and being able to confront those weaknesses and be okay living in that reality that we aren't perfect creatures. Got to come
3: back out of the box when you're done and get back into the Wild West.
2: For sure. For sure. I think, though, what, what Nate was saying, though, the hard part, right, about the time in your own box is having the humility to deal with. These are the things that I'm not good at, right? These are my weaknesses. I think as humans, we tend to gravitate more towards a ignore them if we can view um, where we don't want to come clean to ourselves because it, it is it is challenging. You don't want to admit that you're not good at something. No one wants to do that. But it's it's required, and it is the harder part of the two. Because I could sit here all day and tell you about my three strengths that I have. I don't want to tell you about the 250,000-plus weaknesses. That's I just the Leo's way I think trying is. to
0: say you have more than three strengths, Pete.
2: No, he said two. That's what he said. He said two, oh. not three, Dad. He keeps it real.
3: So wait, can we make a distinction here? You're saying that it's easy to admit your strengths. But it's hard to admit your weaknesses even to yourself that's what you're saying right correct and then would you say that you're even avoiding a process of not just admitting to yourself but even like avoiding that self-knowledge process by which you could come to know your weaknesses
0: well i think some people do i know from experience i have before i've avoided things like looking at the mail or making a phone call because I might be afraid of what an answer might be. I don't think it's that much of a stretch to imagine somebody not wanting to introspect. And for no fault of their own, things are scary and things are difficult. It can be hard to confront some of the deeper, darker truths, but you have to do it. It's just like anything else. If you don't pay a bill, your electricity gets turned off, or your water gets shut off. If you don't take the introspection, if you don't do it, it just gets backed up and creates even more problems.
1: You're absolutely avoiding self-improvement if you avoid that. If you avoid looking at your weaknesses, you are avoiding self-improvement. Okay.
0: So for example, we're all in a startup and we all have strengths and weaknesses. That's why we're part of a team all working together, recognizing that there are certain strengths more than two, more than three, Pete, that you bring to the table and that we all have our own strengths, but we all have our weaknesses too. But as a team, we are able to overcome those things and and grow on our weaknesses. From an entrepreneur's perspective, and I think it's a perspective that people can take into their own lives wherever they go, what are the benefits of being able to look at yourself as an individual and us collectively as a team and pivot into something better?
3: Let me put it to you this way, Nate. It was pretty eye-opening when one of our board members, turns out he's kind of a HR specialist, came to us and said, I'd like you guys to do this thing called Culture Index. And it was a process of us all taking like this, I don't know, almost five-minute survey, would you say, guys? And then, you know, one, getting to know our own strengths and weaknesses But then also how some of them manifest in terms of with how we work with each other with how we you know work by ourselves uh given you know a given situation feel free to jump in guys i feel like that was um incredible experience and one that we all committed to like trying to implement and and kind of carry with us uh as the team has continued to grow
2: that exercise was really interesting um it's funny too because there's things that creep back up that you sometimes forget about Um, and I know I had several moments where I laughed and I'm like yeah that's that's totally me, you know, (laughs) sitting here talking with our our board member, you know and it's like (laughs) this is the first time that he's interacting with me almost he's looking at this this report and it's like he, he knows exactly who I am. I thought that was uh, somewhat comical and uh, (laughs) admittedly a little bit frightening that an exercise like that could translate into this is me and this is how I can hold back or push forward a a team of individuals.
1: What's really coming present to me um, is a quote from the Grammy award-winning producer and rapper Pitbull, ask for money, get advice ask for advice, get money twice. And so really coming back to the story, Dan, you know, we didn't have any internal HR specialists to us within Dan, Pete, and Steve outside, right? We had somebody who helped open up our eyes to those weaknesses. We knew we wanted to identify what our strengths and weaknesses were. And so we sought advice outside of ourselves in that area of expertise to really get that perspective. So really, again, leveraging advice here and people externally, getting that feedback improves their chances of improvement, right? Because you can identify those little tweaks that everybody needs to make or those shortcomings and how we're going to potentially have some pitfalls as we work together moving forward.
3: We actually see this a lot in real estate as well. The amount of people that are just getting into real estate for the first time and then realizing like, beyond just knowing the mechanics that there is a a process of self-discovery and self-improvement that has to happen for them to be successful in real estate they go and like look for that mentor that has done it before that has maybe gone through some of those same personal challenges and, and personal development and to help them you know kind of gain that feedback like Here's what I did in this situation. And not just even like kind of like mechanics, but looking at those strengths and weaknesses from a personal standpoint, it's interesting the way you, you put that, Steve, from an industry which is very much, you know, small business, a lot of solo entrepreneurs, they're still going, you know, they're trying to go get that money, right? But they're instead, you know, going to get that advice in order to then go find, you know, the financial freedom that they were looking for.
0: And I think that goes for anybody, whether you're a student looking for a professor to mentor you, uh, a family member. Let's say you're raising a child and you go to somebody who's done it before and has some insight and experience. What does that take to reach outside of yourself, admit you don't know something or admit that you're confused
2: and go seek an expert? Well, Nate, I'm glad you brought the the whole mentoring thing back up, because I think that that's that's definitely an important part of this. I know Dan just touched on that briefly, but it definitely helps with the self-discovery process that you have someone that essentially you trust and value their input and feedback versus maybe like a stranger that just walks past you and says your idea sucks. There's no relationship there, right? Um, but when you have a mentor you know working with you, it's a little bit easier to take a step back and be like, whoa, maybe they're they're right. I need to pause and I need to look at this. Do you need that that assistance right? So now we're outside of our own personal box. We've done some self-discovery but here comes a mentor giving us some some feedback and input on what we need to work on.
3: And what's the difference between that mentor and that person on the street? I would say, um, and they you asked the question like, what would it take to be able to admit those weaknesses? And I would say it's it lies within that difference, right? A good mentor, and I'm thinking now of, you know, Nick, our last guest who, who has mentored me, you know, my whole life. Okay.
0: Um,
3: <laughs> and And a good mentor not only points out that you are, on a weak limb, but they also give you that branch to climb, you know, down on and to make that okay, right? That it's okay to climb back down that branch, right? It's okay to admit that weakness. They create a a space by which that you don't have to be perfect.
1: So, you know, really thinking about all those people and getting that external feedback, that mentor and advisors approach, that's a portion of it. And that's great. Um, You know, you're helping to assess those knowledge gaps, get best practices, get some consultants in certain areas. And then, like, that's more of the advisor role. And then, more of the mentor role is really those people who are helping you make those big decisions or are those aspirations, um, those people that you aspire to be like. Um, So, those, those are important roles. But that other piece that's lagging there is that peer group, right? Those people that are also inspirational to you and people who are working hard in their field that sharing the journey with you. You guys are on the same kind of path. Maybe they're just people that are motivational to you. But having that peer group there as well is also very important for that feedback. They're in a position where they already have been through that or are in the middle of it such that they're discovering and able to help share those insights as you go along. Allah, Dan and Nick mentoring each other. One
3: time I heard something that Simon Sinek said, which is essentially, you know, mentor is another word that we could use for a friend that oftentimes like it's a two-way thing and you know you learn from each other. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. And that gets back to even what Steve was just talking about, those friends who can accompany each other on life's crazy journey. So it
0: sounds like in bringing the whole picture together here, we're saying that In order to know yourself you need that introspective time in your own personal box looking at your life looking at your strengths having the humility to accept your weaknesses and then be able to share that with a mentor with a peer group and then be able to ask for advice and see where everything goes that self and community discovery of who we are does that sound about right Welcome to the journey, Nate.
3: No, I disagree. I think we can all maybe see this and agree with this, is that a good friend, good peer, or good mentor probably already knows or sees, because you already have a relationship, already sees that weakness. The good friend or the good mentor knows about those strengths and has a visual, has an ideal for this friend or mentee. Like Nick always had for me, knowing all of my deficiencies, but still having this this these rose-colored glasses of you know who I could be as a person. Humility, for sure. We need this in, in the process of uh, self-knowledge, uh, and, and and then from there the self-improvement. But it, it I think maybe part of that is to realize that people aren't looking at us with these rose colored glasses that they see us as as a mixture of the strengths and weaknesses and love us just the same. Okay, Dan, Dan, I, I,
0: I see your point that a good mentor knows us and helps us to get to those places that are good for us, but doesn't it first require that we know where we want to be and communicating that with the mentor
2: or the friend? think that's where you were trying to like hammer that nail and here's me knowing myself i was probably only half listening because i'm watching my son eat christmas ornaments off the tree here That looking, the the humility piece ties in with looking at yourself in the mirror and saying i have to improve here right we understand that it's a cyclical process That the mentor comes in and maybe they share this with you to help you recognize here are some of your deficiencies, but here's what we could do to start working on them. But you're, yeah, I I agree with you, Nate, that one of the most important steps is facing yourself and being okay with you not being good at something or needing to improve upon something, right? That's where the humility piece comes in, right? I'm not the best. I recognize this. This is an area of growth. Okay, now let's get started. What is the next step from here?
1: I think there's a nuance that we're getting caught up in, and and there's the change that happens internally versus externally. So, right, you could lose a family member or something. um, That's an external thing that you can't control. You have to graduate high school next year. I mean, that's something that you can't necessarily control, right? You're just on the timeline there. So there's, there's things that you can't control versus what you can control where in that high school situation is, oh, am I gonna go study X, Y, or Z? Or am I gonna go work? That's the real, the real nuance that I think in between you two here right now is the external versus internal.
2: Sounds like Steve is saying that you guys need to look at thyself because there's some things that you guys need to work on individually, but also together (laughs) as well. So Living out today's topic,
3: I guess it gets back to the locus of control thing, and maybe I agree. Like it is important that you establish who you should be. Right? Nobody can decide your goals for you, and and nobody can know that Nate wants to be the chess champion of the world. I'm starting Uh, late, but I think I can do it. I believe in you. Nobody can will know that unless you tell them. So it does take. You know, you kind of putting your neck out there, even though you're just starting from what you said, I guess not that good yet. It seems to me that what's in your locus of control for sure is establishing who you're supposed to be, right? Establishing those goals. Okay, I have maybe this weakness, but this is the kind of person that I like to be, or I have, you know, met these milestones, but this is where I want to be. And so that's very much within kind of the internal locus of control to to help set those goals for basically what you're saying, Steve.
0: So I think this goes into the next topic that I was thinking about when I was writing this episode. So Steve, you mentioned that sometimes there are things that are outside of our control, such as graduating high school, losing a family member, And I think a lot of us feel this way at different times in our lives, in those big transitions, a lot of us have experienced it, especially in this pandemic, when our work has changed, maybe family members have gotten ill, the way that we do things and interact with people has changed and continues to change. In the midst of those changes, when it's possible to feel lost, when we've established certain identities, when we think we know ourselves and when things around us are changing, what do we hold on to? What is that base sense of self that we know?
3: I was speaking to a group of realtors and real estate agents about two weeks ago, and I'm connecting two dots here in my mind. What I was speaking to them about at this particular moment, was given the fact that they were, you know, at least midway through their career, what made them very good real estate agents, because this was a group of movers and shakers in particular brokerage was their ability to know when they didn't have the answer, and subsequently to know who they could call to get that answer, you know, kind of highlighting the importance of of relationships in real estate. But now I'm connecting it to the dot here of their vision for themselves as highly successful real estate agents. And that is a vision of self, and you can only be that successful real estate agent if you're viewing your real estate services exactly as such, as a service to all of your, your clients, all your buyers, all your sellers. You, if you are the best, you're providing the best service. Maybe this is where we can ground some of this self discovery process. What are we falling back on? It's putting whatever those goals are, right? The goal, even that I have for myself in terms of what I can do for others. Q dad jumping in.
2: Yeah, I, uh, you, you made some good points there. What I was thinking about when you were saying this is that you know what we fall back on our comfort zone essentially is what is controlling how we're influenced. The real estate professional that's offering their services, what are the drivers? Is it already in themselves to wanna be the best um, and therefore offering the best services? It sounds like there's a bunch of outside factors and I think Steve talked about this when he talked about the peer groups or is for this particular individual, is that part of their, their, like their, their being, right? To offer the best services, to be the
1: best. I really see that what's coming out here is, first off, there's some type of bigger meta story that everybody has when they're playing um, this game of life and Stop. gravitating Stop. Stop. towards no, that.
3: Come on, Steve, with this meta stuff and the games, this is almost as bad as robots. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Essentially what you had, you have this big question that you have either answered or something that's going on with your life um that's generally regarding faith family friends so there's some type of bigger question and goal around those that we start orienting ourselves towards so first off is like how when you start shifting and change is like get focused and oriented around those big questions around those big goals that you have And then from there, that's where you start adjusting. Yeah, so that that thing that I really lean on is A, first, that big question. And then second is that peer group or those mentors that are around me who are on that path towards that question and answer.
0: Very well said, Steve. Uh, Whenever I've had some difficult moments in my life, I've always clung to the friends who I knew shared a path with me. And in those moments, It was very difficult to kind of get outside of myself and not stay in that super contemplative box that we talked about earlier. But I had to get outside and see that the world keeps going in the midst of difficulty and tragedy, in the midst of personal weakness. Life keeps moving forward or moving doorward. Nice. The realization that it's not over, that you can stand back up and keep taking steps forward is a joyful one. It helps me to continue.
1: Yeah, Nate, the only constant in
0: life is change. I'm glad you brought that up, Steve, because there are people who say that knowing ourselves the way that we've talked about it is actually a detriment. The frequent objections to that are the vastness of what there is to know about ourselves because we are so complex as individuals. And also the phenomenon of changes in perspective and preference we all experience. Here's something in my life I really don't try to make sense of at all. When I was younger, I loved kiwi. I was served kiwi all the time. It was on little plates when we had friends over for snacks and in our our lunches that my mom so graciously packed. And now I, I can't even stand the look of a kiwi. I was like, I don't want that kiwi. I don't want it in a fruit salad. I don't want anything like this. Right up there with the sweet potatoes.
3: I was just going to say, I should be appalled, but I mean, after the sweet potatoes, nothing surprises me.
0: But anyway, it's something something as small as and innocuous as a kiwi that I used to love and now can't stand, people say, if we did that for everything in our life, we wouldn't be living. French author André Gide writes that to know thyself is a maxim as pernicious as it is ugly and whoever studies himself arrests his own development. A caterpillar who seeks to know himself would never become a butterfly.
3: Well, a caterpillar can't think, so first of all, (laughs) throw it out. Second of all, if uh, he wants to say that like thinking, studying yourself is not living. But I would say the opposite. If you like didn't think at all, like how could you stop even from thinking about strengths or weaknesses? Like even trying to prevent that process? Like now you're not living.
2: Uh, The caterpillar that doesn't take the time to know himself, that what he's saying is so backwards to me. Like the caterpillar needs to learn about himself to understand that he has the ability and the potential to become a butterfly. If he doesn't spend that time, it's more likely actually that he's going to be a caterpillar forever or worse bird food. This is, this is such a backwards concept to me um, that it could hamper you. I think I, I get it though, right? Like if you spend too much time, maybe you put limitations on yourself. And so you kind of create a, a glass ceiling where you can't expand through if you spend too much time being sure-footed about who you are. But I think for most normal, regular humans, that process is, of self-discovery is gonna lead them to greater and better things
3: know thyself or become
2: bird food with that on a t-shirt
1: i think there's definitely a fine balance there of what he has to say um i don't know how to pronounce that name but jeed so as a jeed, I you know, I understand the value of not completely knowing yourself because sometimes it's going to hold you back, but the truth of the matter is is like you don't always need to be in a constant state of, oh, I don't know myself, but you also don't want to be in a constant state of, oh, I completely know myself and I need no no reflection.
3: Sure, you can't stay in the the box all the time. It wouldn't make any sense for us to do doorward thinking 24/7. We would never spend any time building social real estate. So, but but it's important that they really spend some time in the box, you know, one hour a week doing doorward
2: thinking, and that's that's part of this journey. And I think that it's all, it's it becomes marginal, um, but it's meaningful. If you think about a farmer, he's not walking through the field with a plow doing self discovery and saying, "You know what? I should trade in these boots for a suit and go work in a skyscraper as a CEO," but maybe there's some incremental thing that he works on that then is passed on to the next generation and the next one and the next one that's part of this much longer than ourselves journey where that matters Um, because we all can't be a caterpillar that just wakes up out of a cocoon one day and is a butterfly the figurative picture that's painted there it's an extreme but that that should be happening every day or it should be in a constant state of that growth
1: it should be a routine for sure absolutely something that helps you get up and essentially have a clean slate a fresh start to whatever you're working on when you get that routine to your change you're committed to that process you're committed to the journey and you can you know as obstacles come up be able to adapt be able to figure out ah, here's how I'm going to leap over that either you know I'm going to troubleshoot it myself or I'm going to find somebody that knows how or somebody that's going to teach me how
0: Because we live in a world where technology advances so quickly, there are people who are asking what it means to know thyself and seeing if they can apply technology into helping us achieve that self-knowledge. There's a company called InterAxon that was founded by Ariel Garten that uses headbands and other sensors to collect data to show people when they're anxious or when they're calm when they're stressed, and all of these other data points designed to help people to know themselves without having to step into the box, go on retreat, or take that time out because our lives are so busy. Do we think that technology is a good way to know thyself?
2: Well, Nate, if you've studied um, the series of Rocky movies you know that in Rocky IV, uh Ivan Drago is hooked up to all those machines, right? And they they have all this data. He's like the heaviest hitter ever. And Rocky, meanwhile, is in a cabin spending that introspective time not hooked up to anything, right? And then he just wipes the floor with him. Right I wouldn't say he movie. does that. No, he did. Um, If, if you look at it. You gotta, you got, you just gotta rewatch it. It's one. Of it's a long fight. Dude. It's that. a long fight. It's a long fight. He takes his punches, and in the end, Mister Data didn't didn't bring home the victory, right? So I think that there's a ceiling that that happens where like this data, while useful, what's the return on having this this data at that at that microscopic level, right? Is this stuff truly gonna benefit you in the long run?
3: I think while the data is useful, and I'm all for it, I'm all for it. Obviously, we use culture index and there's all kinds of other things. I think you you can't reduce a human being to just electrons firing or whatever. There's always that element of choice, right? And maybe, maybe that's what the French philosopher, whose name I can't remember at the moment, was trying to kind of warn us against, right, is... Is that if we spend too much time, you know, analyzing the data, we forget
1: that we have a choice in the matter. Steve, you're our tech guy. So um, my initial perspective is yes, probably a good thing that you know we're doing, we're collecting data, um, good, um, figuring out how that can be useful. um, Since I don't know what interaction is doing exactly, but um, I'd imagine they're looking for those use cases that. You know, okay, this data is actually useful, but my initial problem with this, um, again is like Dan said, you're reducing yourself down to neurons firing essentially and you're you're taking a step back. You know, the positive there is maybe you're able to find those triggers that put you into some habits you don't like, right? So maybe with that data we are able to find that. The the primary issue I have is that outsourcing, you want someone else to do it. You want someone else to take that time and you know get that information to you when you know not everything's going to be solved from outsourcing your problems
2: they'll never have as close a look at your own life and all of its complexities and moving parts that you will that data is just face value information and what dan was saying is that cool you have that you still have to make a decision and even taking it a step further take an action in order to use that data or have it mean something, right?
1: Yeah, that interpretation of data, having to get through all that. So, you know, who's interpreting the data?
0: So ideally,
1: it sounds like having that internal locus of
0: control, taking our own data and looking at it with that extra knowledge of everything going on in our lives is the best way to contemplate and to know thyself. Boom. So we've got to wrap it up in just a little bit here. We've all got to get back to living outside the box and uh, make social real estate a thing. So in the process of knowing thyself, what is something that we all learn from today and will be taking forward with us as we go into our work, especially with this new year coming up?
3: I think it was interesting how we kind of came back to this idea of looking for harmony that we discussed a few weeks ago, trying to find the right amount of time to to spend on knowing thyself at least like the stepping back which is necessary for that process right alongside the the living so i I found it interesting that we kind of came back to that 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 pursuit of the
2: harmony i thought for sure that dan was gonna say the main takeaway from today was don't let the birds catch you slipping but (laughs) I, i like where he took it
1: yeah my big takeaways from the podcast today are one leaning on others and two taking care of yourself
0: thanks everybody for taking the time out today i know you guys are busy and have things to do i'll be back in st louis at the end of the week and we'll reconvene there okay
3: right on man enjoy the time with family and friends
2: safe travels back to st louis my friend
0: love the work appreciate the setup you got it we'll see you in a bit To make sure you catch every new episode of the show, like, share, and subscribe to Doorward Thinking on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you want to join in on this great conversation, please send your contributions or ideas to podcast at doorward.com, and we may even share them in a future episode. If you can't wait, there is more great Doorward Thinking content from the whole team available on the Doorward Thinking blog at doorward.com slash doorwardthinking. If you or someone you know is interested in real estate and Doorward, please visit or recommend Doorward.com and check us out on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Next week, we'll finish our series on having the courage to take care of ourselves with practical tips to make the time and space for self-care. Till next time, I'm your host, Nate LeBlanc, reminding you to hop into the cocoon so you can emerge and get back to living.
2: Personally, would have went with meta robot birds, but hey, it's your show. I'm just on it.